0: immersive audio podcast in conversation with industry thought leaders practitioners artists academics and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art science and business to practical insights and project case studies we aim to inform educate explore and unite the community welcome to the immersive audio podcast brought to you by 1618 digital Today, Oliver is joined by Adam Levinson, the Vice-President of Business Development at G-Audio Lab. Adam has had over 25 years of experience in business development in the creative media industry, and has worked for companies such as Interplay, Electronic Arts, Atari, CRI Middleware, and Activision, with credits in a variety of well-known video games. Today, Oliver and Adam discuss the topics of spatial audio, loudness, audio quality in streaming, and standards for creators.
1: Adam Levinson, welcome to the immersive audio podcast. How are you today?
2: Hey, Oliver. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me to join you.
1: No, thank you for finding time. Um, before starting the interview, we obviously just had a quick chat about what's happening in Northern California, and it's absolutely devastating. Can you tell us a few words, what's going on, how people are reacting, how people are coping with that?
2: You know, we're a resilient group here in the Silicon Valley, San Francisco Bay Area. But I have to tell you, I'm looking out of my office window right now, and it is completely packed in. It is just great. Gray. It looks like a blanket of gray has fallen over this entire area. And, um, uh, you know, we've never spoken before. This is the first time we've actually um, been able to speak to each other uh, live. Um, so you don't know my voice, but right now I'm, I'm really congested because, you know, as soon as you walk outside, you're, you're just breathing smoke. It's really a, a natural disaster. It's like an unprecedented natural disaster. But I think everybody is just trying to move ahead with their lives and uh, cope with the situation as best as possible. And that's really all we can do. I'm actually really happy to be doing this interview because, you know, it feels like an opportunity to to live life and, uh, and, t- and talk about the things that we're passionate about.
1: No, absolutely. That's an absolute pleasure. Um, and again, I really appreciate um, you talking to us today in this difficult moment i should say right adam uh can you introduce yourself and why don't you tell us a few words about the company and what you do sure so
2: i'm currently a vp of business development at G g-audio. gaudio is an audio technology company my job um encompasses uh, a whole range of things <laughs> business development tends to be uh, a position where you wear multiple hats in a small company Um, So it includes partnerships, sales, marketing, you know, the whole contract management side of everything, and even some product guidance. So like I said, G-Audio is an audio technology company. Um, Our main focuses are spatial audio um, for VR 360, for cinematic VR, and, uh, and solutions for streaming media. Um, our main product in the streaming media space is, is loudness management. And we, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. The company got started in about 2015. I, I joined the company in, uh, in 2017, late 2017. I got to know Henny, Henny O. Henny is our uh, CEO, um, officially Dr. Henny O. We had uh, met previously when I was with a company called CRI Middleware. Um, and we had been talking about doing a partnership, actually, with GIO. So I met all the guys and um, was really impressed with the team. And I'm always motivated to work with good people, outgoing, innovative, inspired, smart people. So when the opportunity came up, I joined the team. Henny O, again, Dr. O, um, started the company uh, back in about 2015. And um, this was after a trip to Spain. Um, for a big MPEG meeting where uh, Dr. O's binaural rendering technology was adopted into the MPEG-H 3D audio standard. And that event, which was a big deal because um, that technology uh, was being considered along with uh, submissions from very large tech companies, as you can imagine, that event really inspired the beginning of G-Audio. And so the company got it started, Spatial Audio, and specifically for cinematic VR, which sometimes we call VR 360 or 360 VR. <laughs> cinematic VR seems to have something of an identity crisis. Um, we don't really ever know what to call it, but uh, I think we can all relate to either cinematic VR or VR 360. And after a couple of years of, of working in the spatial audio space, uh, we branched out into um, solutions for streaming media. Um, it, it really came about. Uh, because of a a client request, a big client request um, for loudness management. So right now, loudness management is really our focus. And I'm sure all over that we'll we'll get a chance to talk more about what that is. The team is about 25 people. Uh, Development and R&D is based in Seoul, South Korea, where they also have bad air, but not because of fires. Um, The core tech team has numerous patent tech patented technologies. And, and one of the other, um, you know, sort of major features of the G-Audio team is that we have seven audio PhDs, including Dr. Henio. So it's like this, uh, this deep R&D bench. Never seen that many scientists uh, on, a, on a audio tech team. Um, and our recent customers include Honda Innovations here in the United States, Naver Corporation, the Podbang podcast service, and we just signed a deal with 13th Floor. They're a cinematic VR uh, production company, and that project is for for 5G, uh, cinematic VR over 5G. So that's a quick, um, you know, uh, start to finish, (laughs) start to present summary of the company.
1: Have you personally always worked in various positions within the audio industry? Could you tell us a little bit more about your personal background as well?
2: Sure. So that's a long story. Um, I was a musician. Uh, I was a percussionist back in the early 90s, very early 90s. I was uh, collaborating with a lot of dance companies, actually, in the San Francisco area. And um, that is kind of uh, the era of, of sort of the beginning of of the video game industry as we know it now. Um, kind of the, the start of the whole multimedia era. One of the choreographers I was working with, um, her husband, was launching a startup. A multimedia startup and you know he knew i was a musician he knew i wrote music and he invited me to write music and and do sound design for his multimedia project which was like this fantastic voyage through the human body that's where it all started oliver as soon as i got into that project i saw that this should be my future because it was so exciting i mean how can you not be excited by the combination of entertainment technology art music it just presented this awesome opportunity and you know, 20 years later, <laughs> actually more than 20 years later, you know, I had uh, ended up as the head of sound at Activision for for many years. And then uh, through a series of uh, twists and turns, got on into the business side. And now that is my focus is, is the sort of the business and legal side of audio technology and, and audio content production. So it's been quite a
1: journey. Adam, can we Come back to G-Audio as a company and just really dive into the whole range of products and services the company provides. I'm really trying to understand myself better, but also for our audience. Um, From what I understand, you have... Uh, offering tools. You have a number of rendering tools that, that feature some unique functionality. Um, I think it'd be quite interesting to go through those bit by bit. So the
2: best way to think about it is we have two product lines. Uh, one product line is for the spatial audio market, specifically like we talked about the VR 360 space. And the other product line, uh, like we, we talked about earlier, is, is really for streaming media. And that's a loudness management SDK. Both products are SDKs. So let's go back and talk about spatial audio for a sec. Our spatial audio product is called the Soul VR 360 SDK. And that is a spatial audio software suite for cinematic VR. It includes multiple components. The main component, of course, being the rendering SDK. Um, but you might be familiar with our Works Spatial Audio plugin for Pro Tools. The idea with this product suite is is to provide an end to end solution for spatial audio. So we have Works on the production side. We have um, the spatial audio renderer uh, incorporated into the SDK, and we also provide an encoder. And we uh, provide a player app, so you can actually play your. Uh, um, VR 360 videos uh, using our spatial audio format on your Android device. So it's a it's a complete solution. The sort of flagship product within this product line is definitely the spatial audio renderer. Let's talk about the Loudness SDK, which is our most recent product and also really our, our focus right now. As you know, streaming media is is just this um, force to be reckoned with, and loudness is arguably the main concern, really, as far as audio is. Loudness is uh, one of one of the main challenges with emerging audio audio technologies. So that's what, why we decided to attack this problem. So the loudest SDK is a loudness management solution for OTTs and streaming music services. OTT meaning over the top. Um, you know, I think most people are aware that that refers to you know your Netflix and your Amazon Primes in the world. And our solution uses metadata. Uh, it's not a file-based. It's not a pre-processing solution. It's a, a a runtime, so to speak, solution that happens during the streaming of the content um, using what we call server-client architecture. Um, we can talk more about the the technical sort of background of the product, but that's that's sort of the fast summary. So those are our two product lines, uh, VR 360 and loudness.
1: I would like to dwell on the topic of loudness just for a bit. Um, product that is designed to certain standard. What is the benefit of using a loudness SDK? and could you maybe give us a couple of examples of kind of technologies that have adopted or would benefit from adopting the loudness SDK?
2: Yeah, so I think the best thing to do is is to take a quick look at history. Um, If you look look back at broadcast, you might remember that prior to, I think, around 2008, there was a major loudness problem. Ads tended to be super loud compared to the main content, the main program. And consumers were getting more and more frustrated. And this was really a worldwide uh, situation.
1: I would go as far as saying that it still very much is. I, I personally finding myself reaching out for a remote control, constantly trying to you know, mix things and control the loudness as we go along. So things definitely have improved and, and the recent implementation of various standards have made a difference. But I don't think we have arrived to the place where we can talk about it as a piece of history. I think it's a very much ongoing problem.
2: No, I totally agree. What's interesting is that, you know, the cliche is that history repeats itself. And in fact, you know, there were actions taken uh, about a decade ago to try to deal with the problem in the broadcast space. So here in the United States, um, something called the CALM Act was passed. That gave our federal division of, of communications called the FCC the power to regulate loudness So in fact, it did get better, but as soon as Netflix came along and and OTTs became a a popular source for for video, the problem cropped up all over again, because of course the broadcast rules don't apply to OTTs. And of course um, the same problem cropped up on the music uh, streaming side for services like Pandora and Spotify. And it's especially an issue on the user generated content sites like, you know, Twitch, for example. You know, Pandora has this major challenge that they're sourcing content from so many different production companies. You, you know, it's, it's like almost infinite, as you can imagine. Loudness becomes an issue because all of those programs were produced at various levels. At this point, we don't have a calm act. We don't really have um, standards, as you kind of alluded to. In the, in the streaming media space. So that's why we have created this SDK that essentially says, um, what is the loudness of, of the content as it is? And what's the target? And how do we get from, from where it is to where we want it to be in a way that uh, maintains fidelity and doesn't introduce um, compression or limiting issues like pumping, for example, that your listeners might be familiar with or, or artifacts. So that's really the challenge is how do we get the content to all conform to a loudness target while maintaining fidelity and, uh, and giving the end user some continuity and the freedom to put down the remote <laughs> and not worry so much about, you know, uh, adjusting volume um, per program or when the ads pop up.
1: Essentially, it's a tool designed for modern, online-based, on-demand sources of content, uh, various platforms, and and that can involve music, radio, films, and all kinds of things. And essentially, it manages the loudness levels in order to bring the consistency across the board. Exactly. And it does that all automatically, so to speak. And it does
2: it without any pre-processing.
1: And I think that's something that a lot of content creators would really appreciate, that there is no further signal processing without introducing or augmenting sonic characteristics of those programs.
2: Right. I mean, you don't want to go through this painful and hugely time-consuming process of pre-processing all of your content. I mean, think about, let's go back to Pandora for a second. Think about the massive amount of content. Um, There's really no practical way to, you know, master everything and in fact it might even be uh, impossible under their licensing deals our solution allows this sort of no touch approach the analysis is done on the server side and the adjustment is done on the device side all using metadata
1: i see so software should be installed implemented on the at the output stage from the source as well as integrate it into the application from where the media is consumed so let's say if it's implemented with netflix next time you download netflix or watch netflix it's there is there is an algorithm that sits on the consumer side of things as well and talks to through metadata with with its counterpart or it's kind of the rest of the software which is implemented at the beginning at source i'm just trying to understand the mechanics of how the software is integrated into the whole process the pipeline Essentially, that's
2: right. But the metadata that has said, "Okay, this content is um, mastered um, at a loudness level of X," you know, it's done that analysis. That that little piece of metadata travels along the stream, um, whatever you know, whatever streaming format you're you're using, um, depending on the service, and then arrives at the device together with the audio content. The device um, also has an implementation of of our software and is able to read the metadata and make the adjustment. That structure, that architecture, if you will, uh, also allows us to do some pretty cool stuff. Like for example, make adjustments based on the quality of the device speakers. Because the content has not been pre-processed, when we receive the content and the metadata on the device side, we can do things like say, What is the frequency range of these speakers? And what do we need to do to compensate for that frequency range in order to meet our target loudness level? In other words, maybe we need to roll off some low end because these speakers don't reproduce low end.
1: It's almost like this intelligent kind of real-time signal-modifying system that optimizes content for every type of device, every type of kind of consumption method, etc.
2: That is exactly right. And sort of along the same lines, we can say, what is the volume level of your device? Because as we know, loudness is perceived uh, volume and, and, and volume level is the actual volume that you've set on your device. So we can say, hey, what is the volume of this device? Maybe it's pretty low. If it is, then this user is going to feel like there's no low end. We can then add in a an equalization curve to compensate for low low device volume, so that the music still the music or the the video still sounds full. There are all these opportunities to correct, if you will, or enhance the sound received on the device because we haven't done any pre-processing.
1: That's very interesting, and I suppose you can even take it a step further because every smart device has a microphone, inbuilt microphone, which then you can utilize to measure the the propagation of that signal and reverberation within the space, which then can further inform what kind of equalization, what kind of filtering is best suited for that specific, not only device, but that specific situation when device is placed in a specific physical environment. That is exactly right. Something like room correction. I mean, you know, maybe you should go into
2: product management because that's an excellent (laughs) idea. Um, That's exactly the kind of opportunities that are opened up when using our tech. That's correct.
1: I mean, to me, certainly no brainer that this kind of technology is extremely useful for both content distributors rather and content consumers. However, arguably, there might be people that would at least prefer an option to choose content in sort of its original state. And with this modification system on, would it would be something that is deployed as an option for consumers to choose from? uh, The sound of which option they would prefer, essentially. Or is it something, once it's implemented, it's pretty much in the DNA of of that platform and it's nothing you can really do as a consumer?
2: You know, in my opinion, the consumer would prefer not to have to muddle with the details, Um, especially when it comes to audio. I think that consumers recognize issues with audio. When audio is delivered, that is high fidelity high quality and is you know has some continuity with loudness then they're just pleased and satisfied i can't imagine that they would want to turn this off um, unless you were talking about a very sophisticated user who for some reason wants to be exposed to the um, ups and downs, the exigencies of, of uh, loudness um, issues on OTTs and music streaming services for, for some reason. I think audio is kind of special in that way. People just want it to be really great. And
1: if it isn't, they complain. And if it is, then they don't say anything and they're satisfied. Totally makes sense, especially if it's very transparent. I would say if it would only make sense if uh, the augmentation of the kind of sonic characteristics of the content was quite significant and there was, there was some kind of compromise, and so people would kind of appreciate the, the choice. If it's super transparent, then I guess it's pretty much obsolete.
2: That is a super great point. Thank you for saying that, because that has been kind of a challenge in the G-Audio team. Because as I said earlier, this is a team with a lot of audio scientists and um, and and their whole approach, the philosophy is definitely transparency. Whereas on the marketing side, you know, I want to hear more of an effect because that's something I can show to our potential customers. Um, I don't know if... I don't know how old you are, Oliver, um, but you may remember back in the 70s, um, audio receivers or audio amplifiers that used to be in stereo systems had this button called loudness. And it was this awesome button that you would push and all of a sudden you know, your bass was bigger and your highs were higher. And and, and the whole idea was um, compensating uh, for low volume, kind of like what we talked about before, we we have essentially emulated the loud loudness button from the 70s in our in our technology. Now, you know, when we are promoting our loudness SDK, you know, I would love that effect to be really prominent, but that goes to your whole point about transparency. Then you're sort of in, intruding upon the original mix. You know, you are really exaggerating, and that's something that Gaudio as a team doesn't want to do. Um, the whole idea is to enhance with the goal of it being sort of transparent and 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 not um, particularly noticeable. In fact, the less noticeable it is, maybe maybe the better. So that, that has been a challenge for us, actually.
1: Adam, I'm curious to hear what the reaction that you have observed has been from various companies that you presented this idea to. I would like to kind of come from a different angle and maybe talk about the ethical side of things so i'm just going to assume that it's a, it's a very time consuming process and uh, resource demanding process to develop such technology. And essentially it's a B2B transaction, which is then passed on to consumers. So I'm wondering if there are a cost implication that would be imparted and passed further to the consumer from your clients. And is it something that discussed openly and communicated to the audiences and maybe they have an option to choose if you could pay extra x amount per month you would get your content optimized or is it something that your clients the big companies are are willing to absorb and kind of integrate within existing price plans so that's a bit of a mouthful but hopefully you get the point no that's a super great great question so first of all um i
2: think it's important to recognize that ott services and music services even even though we are all currently or many of us are currently enjoying the benefits of these services, it is still really an emerging technology. And the transmission of the content over the internet is such a massive technological feat that that is the, uh, that is the um, priority. That is the, uh, the focus and concentration of, of most of these companies. They're really just trying to get the signal from one point to another without interruption and deliver it in a high quality manner. So, you know, from the company's perspective, from our potential customers' perspective, um, encouraging them to focus on audio as a priority is, as you may guess, um, kind of a challenge um, because there are these major technological hurdles. Now, our business model, um, although it is flexible, it is essentially a monthly active users model, where our potential customers would be paying on a, a paying us a, essentially a royalty um, on a monthly active users basis, and that is a fraction of a penny per user. So it's this tiny amount, and that's the way many software companies actually work. Um, sometimes it's also sort of like on an hourly basis um, in terms of processing time on the cloud, for example. There are many ways to measure the use of, of technology like this, but it tends to be um, these very tiny amounts. You know, you're know, you not going to see a cost passed on to the consumer. The idea is that the consumer needs to be satisfied. And, and consumers, because they're getting so accustomed to streaming They're looking to be on par in terms of quality with their broadcast experience. And and frankly, there's been some, you know, frustration and disappointment because uh, especially with things like live uh, broadcasts, um, like of sports, for example, when when you go into the streaming realm, maybe you find that the quality isn't quite as good. the streaming companies that are out there are really looking for any way to to level up on quality. And, and so that, that fraction of a penny is a, a small investment into really what is the goal of retaining subscribers. So that, that's really the whole, whole um, reason that this, is, that this can be a priority is that it goes to retention. You don't want people getting frustrated with volume issues.
1: We certainly already have been observing similar systems being implemented across uh, major music streaming platforms such as SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes or Apple Music, I should say. I'm wondering if you guys are planning to disrupt that existing market or your focus is mainly amongst video streaming platforms such as Netflix. But of course, you already mentioned Pandora, which to me, even though I'm not a regular Pandora user, but as far as I know, it's... Uh, Radio on demand music streaming platform? Correct me if I'm wrong.
2: That's exactly right.
1: Um, actually,
2: Oliver, I think the present opportunity is, if I understood your point correctly, the, the present opportunity uh, may be more immediate in the music streaming space. Because, like I said, OTTs are so concerned right now with just getting the signal from point A to B and doing that in a way that is high quality. You know, loudness, arguably is more of a present sort of imminent issue for for music uh, streaming, because of course (laughs) it's all audio. So whether or not we are going to disrupt the space, you know, that's not really our mindset. Uh, We're we're trying to put a product out there that is going to improve the audio experience for the end user. In a sense, that is a disruption because it is promoting the, the importance of the audio experience. That's really our goal.
1: From what I heard from other people, so especially mastering engineers for music, um, the common problem seems to be the lack of standardization among all these platforms um, and lack of kind of some kind of unity. So, for example, when you complete your track or an album, which goes out on, I don't want to say CD because it sounds very old-fashioned, but for some artists it still does. It's still almost 50% of recorded music market today. Whatever that might be, CD, vinyl, etc. But let's just focus on the digital domain at the moment. When when it's being uploaded on Apple Music, Tidal, Spotify, etc., it does tend to sound different. And also, you know, we've got things like YouTube in the same bag because they use different algorithms, different systems who are essentially trying to do the same thing. Whilst maybe some People might argue it's insignificant for a critical ear. It is quite significant. We might be talking up to four, six dB of difference. You know, there, there's a lot of research that suggests that people, depending on loudness level, people perceive the quality of the music and the kind of the other characteristics of the music that have nothing to do with loudness. They're kind of talk about those in in that context. So it does have an effect on the regular consumer and their perception of of that music. So I would say the industry would definitely benefit from having some kind of system that is widely adopted by all these major platforms and which will make the life of content creators much easier. And this is not just from music mastering engineers, it goes across the spectrum videos podcasts music streaming etc etc there's loads of kind of content that is out there so what are your thoughts on this
2: no that's i think those are really good points my thoughts while you were speaking are i just don't and, and this is something that you alluded to earlier oliver um you know it's very difficult to put a standard out there and then have it adhered to i mean especially these days where you know there's been this democratization of content creation Uh, services like we talked about uh, Twitch or or a service like Vimeo where user-generated content is is, uh, the focus. Um, You know, you're not going to get adherence to a standard. Standards are definitely important and we need them. But ultimately, I think we also need a a software layer that can uh, help to provide that or ensure that kind of consistency with loudness. And Um, And with other content delivery issues related to loudness, other quality issues, we need some management on the software side, as well as adherence to, or at least respect (laughs) for for some standards.
1: That's precisely what I meant, because we have such a wide variety of types of content and methods of distribution of that content, having a, a system which independently kind of controls that for on behalf of everybody else and essentially bring some kind of unity and level is exactly what's needed. I totally agree. And, you know, at the same time, we we need the standards.
2: Uh, we need, we need content creators to, to make best efforts to, um, to master their work or mix their work or whatever word is appropriate, um, given the content type um, to the highest quality standards, because that's, of course, going to, to deliver the best experience. But yes, absolutely. Technology has a very important role here, um, especially given the the massive variety of content that we now have at our fingertips.
1: It seems like the topic of loudness is totally going to dominate our discussion today because I have more questions uh, and it is a very important topic and it does concern many verticals of the industry, pretty much every single one, because it's it's essentially a, a critical part of how content is distributed and consumed. Being a company that specializes in creating software for spatial audio, now also focusing on Creating a, a product for loudness management. I'm wondering if you have already considered um, getting involved in that space for immersive content as well, because as you know, the things far worse in the space of VR and 360 and you know content production side of things. There is no standard whatsoever. There are very few tools that can enable uh, those who work on content to measure, to control loudness. I can maybe share some of my personal experience. The spatial audio resolution suffers greatly when you process with dynamic range. Reduction tools such as limiting compression, which typically used for bringing the loudness up to control dynamic range, to do mastering and and dubbing process. Having said that, it's it's something that is um, best to be avoided or used very subtly. As the result, what was referring to earlier about you know several dB difference across different platforms. Um, we're talking about far bigger differences and inconsistencies in this space, um, which is much bigger of a problem. Um, on the top of that, I think we're also suffering from another phenomenon, which I I personally have come across multiple times um, talking to other people, is that the content in general is very quiet, precisely of the reasons I just described earlier that because it's not being heavily processed. And um, let's say if you plug your headphones to headset, let's use that Oculus Go as an example, or Samsung GVR, and you put loudness or maximum on your device, be it standalone or smartphone, it still often doesn't uh, deliver, you know, the required loudness level, which With music, often when people talk about loudness, the typical kind of suggestion is let's not over-compress, let's not over-limit our content. And if it's too quiet for you, you can just turn the loudness up. Whereas here, we have a problem where we can't really turn it up because it's already a maximum and it's still not delivering. Has G audio as a company considered working and developing tools for immersive audio content concerning loudness measurements of spatial audio, specifically I'm talking about second, third order ambisonic spatial resolution? Uh, I think that's a great question. And in fact,
2: um, So we are going to be exhibiting at VRX in San Francisco on December 6th and 7th. And I fully intend to exhibit both our uh, spatial audio solution and our loudness uh, SDK. Um, Even though on its face, you might ask, well, is loudness really relevant in in the spatial audio realm? Um, But, you know, as you're alluding to, of course it is. Um, I mean, I think... You know, um, reading between the lines of your question, I think we have a fidelity issue right now in spatial audio um, because there are processes inherent in ambisonics, inherent in object-based rendering that, um, that are challenging to fidelity. And there are issues with uh, directionality um, in spatial audio that is, is highly variable. And, and can produce unexpected um, peaks, can produce unexpected distortion simply based on, on where the viewer is looking. So there are, I think, major problems that need to be addressed in the spatial audio space um, in the coming years. Uh, you know, when, when you were talking about the loudness wars earlier, you know, that kind of brewed up, that boiled up over decades, right, of music production. Um, where uh, producers realize that louder, or they they believe that louder is better and less dynamic range is better, um, because it, it delivers more of an impact to the listener. You know that whole whole um, aesthetic has, has been challenged. You know since the loudness wars, but I, I just don't think that um, these issues have really been addressed on the spatial audio side uh, because um, the, the the tech is still emerging. But I, I absolutely believe that we're going to get there. And, and fidelity is, is going to become more and more of a, of a, uh, a priority in spatial audio. And I, I'm actually really looking forward to that. Um, I'm really looking forward to high fidelity. I just don't think we're there yet. And, and loudness uh, will definitely uh, come along for the ride with that movement towards a, a really high quality audio experience in VR.
1: I totally agree with your previous point but I'm just I'm also curious to hear whether or not the company can adopt existing technology and extrapolate the kind of the existing R&D efforts and apply it into the space of uh, spatial audio or is it something that is incompatible at this point. Definitely. In fact, I mean
2: as I said much earlier in our conversation, the whole loudness project grew up out of a a VR 360 development project. So right now, the two products are separate. However, you know, and just a quick um, shameless plug for my company, you know, we have these um, off-the-shelf technologies, these two SDKs that we've discussed, right? The Spatial Audio SDK and the Loudest SDK. And those are our product lines that we put out into the world. But we are a small company that, and we are highly flexible as a team. So what we get into with our customers is customization using this sort of uh, library, if you will, of of core tech. So if there is an opportunity to apply the loudness management solution in in a spatial audio project, we're going to do it. We would love that. We haven't had an opportunity to do that yet, but... We have the ability to customize bespoke solutions, you know, to make bespoke solutions for our customers. And that is absolutely part of our identity as a company. So I'm looking forward to what you're talking about. That would be a, an interesting project and I hope it happens.
1: What predictions do you have for the future of virtual reality as far as audio is concerned? And how do you think this will affect the content creators? The way you phrase
2: that question, I think, is is really the most pressing question for the future of of our virtual realities from AR to BR. I think that spatial audio, you know, as a technology is is eventually going to just become uh, sort of commoditized in in the same way that 5.1 and 7.1 are are just um, so much a part of our lives now. Uh, Whereas spatial audio, you know, ambisonics and object-based sounds seem kind of exotic at the moment. I think that exoticism is going to fade away And the spatial audio formats um, will become uh, uh, very much just a part of everyday life. What I think is going to be more of a challenge and, and more of a fascinating journey for audio content creators is the procedural requirements of virtual realities. In other words, virtual objects that must exist in space together with real objects need to have believable sound properties. And there is absolutely no way that a sound design team is going to be able to um, address all of the different uh, possibilities for any given virtual object. I mean, just think about a chair and everything that you can do with your typical office chair and all the sounds that are associated with that kind of interactivity that make us believe that that chair is a real thing. If we're truly going to have mixed reality experiences, then that chair is going to need to produce believable audio when we move it, when we uh, when it falls down, when we break it, when when we uh, brush up against it, when we sit in it. All of any of these various interactivities. What we're going to need is procedural solution, whether that's you know sample based or, or synthesized or, or both, um, where we are creating sounds on the fly based on the properties of these objects, based on the physics of these objects, what they're made of, how much they weigh, uh, how they move. That is super exciting. And I believe strongly that procedural audio tech will, you know, define sort of uh, how uh, we uh, experience audio in, in, in the virtual reality space. Again, from AR all the way across the spectrum to total immersion experiences.
1: You touched on augmented reality, mixed reality now. And to me, it seems like 2018 is certainly going to be the year of AR rather than VR, as opposed to what we've seen uh, in in past several years. As a company that kind of um, specializes in developing products for arguably for XR industry, as, as well as um, let's just put the loudness aside for now. Uh, I'm curious to hear whether, as a company, G Audio has any plans concerning developing products for AR because it's a similar but different, like you said, you have these core technologies that could be potentially repurposed or utilised in developing new and exciting products because as far as I'm concerned, we have very little, much less than 360 in VR because that market has been developing and maturing for the past several years. So we're in a much better place compared to where we were several years ago. So when it comes to AR, it feels we really like back two thousand fourteen, if you will.
2: Sure, I, I think. Well, first of all, to directly answer your question, um, we have been working in on the research and development side on AR audio for some months now. But what becomes clear, I think, when you look at audio in AR, is that the immediate technological developments are probably going to come from AI and machine learning. Where we, uh, you know, where the industry is is now moving towards some automatic responses when 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 the user is in an AR environment or using an AR device, things like uh, situational responsiveness. And for example, when you're, you know, you go to a restaurant, it's super noisy, and and your AR device knows that you're in a restaurant, knows that it's super noisy, and knows that. You want an adjustment to reduce the ambient sound and to enhance uh, speech or, or dialect, for example, those kind of automatic AI driven um, adjustments. I think that's really um, where the innovation is is going to be for the next, you know, one to two years. And so that's kind of beyond uh, G-Audio's technological scope. You know, th- that's something that we need to work with a partner on, you know, an, an AI or ML Uh, partner. Some of these core technologies that we already have, including spatial audio, are definitely relevant in AR um, because virtual objects need to exist in space. And and that means they need to be spatialized and they need to be binaurally rendered. And the user needs to believe that the thing that is virtual is producing sound from a believable position in space. The core tech is definitely uh, uh, relevant. Um, there is some some new tech as well that, that we are, are, are working on. And the AI and ML functionality, I think, going to be a critical. Those are the critical development. And it's already happening, Oliver. It's already happening. It, it, on the, in the hearing aid space, we're seeing companies like Starkey and Oticon already um, commercializing AI-driven um, uh, functionality in their devices, which is, you know, it's not ar by definition, but it really is AR Uh, when you're able to have that kind of situational responsiveness or or focused hearing or or selective hearing. um, These these kind of automatic functions are frankly uh, just technological feats that will eventually make their way into, you know, probably all AR devices with an audio component.
1: It's just such a vast space with so many possibilities, how it's going to develop. I suppose the exciting part of it is that we'll get to see it all week.
2: We're we're seeing it happening right in front of our ears. (laughs) It's happening right now.
1: Adam, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and you guys doing really interesting, groundbreaking stuff. Hopefully it's been interesting and informative to our listeners as well and I certainly would love to talk to you again in about six or twelve months, and things would have moved on by then for sure six six months is a very long time yeah, in exactly. Our space. So I, I can imagine things will look very
2: different. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Uh, and I want to thank you for inviting us to join you and, um, and being a part of the podcast.
1: Thank you. As always, I would like to finish off with the same question I'll ask every single guest, uh, which is what would be one piece of personal or perhaps business advice that you've learned or given by somebody else that you could share with our audience today?
2: I'm so glad that you asked this question. What my observations are, I think there are two things, and I'm, I'm again I'm really happy to have this opportunity to share to share this, these thoughts. First, um, you got to have your go-to-market strategy and your business model before you rush into development of a technology. So many of us out there are technologists who are really smart and really inspired, and and probably have some incredible product ideas, but. There has to be the discipline to step back and look at how am I going to get this out into the market? What is the market opportunity and how is the business plan going to work? And I know that that sounds really boring and mundane, but your brilliant technological idea, I'm assuming that you want it to live in the market. So let's do that work before we really dive wholeheartedly into a development cycle. So that's number one. Number two is keep it simple. Now that is the cliche of cliches. But amazingly, that concept often gets lost when you're talking about developing a technology and putting it into the market. Because a lot of this audio tech is highly sophisticated and complex, right? It is multifaceted. There's lots of terminology. Um, Sometimes it's even hard to describe. And that sort of tends to, it lends itself to a certain complexity that can get translated into your business planning. But when we get into our business planning, we have to almost switch into a, into a keep it simple mode where we realize that basically we're selling lemonade at a lemonade stand. And, and people want lemonade on a lemonade stand on a hot day because they're thirsty. <laughs> and that kind of supply and demand, those those basic components, supply and demand, that is definitely how we have to think about our product. Is there demand? How are we gonna meet that demand? Is it a hot day that's good for lemonade? We really need to think on those simple terms. Otherwise, sometimes we get lost in the complexity of the tech and of in, in, in the marketing that sometimes comes along with technology that blurs the,
1: those simple principles. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Oliver. Thank you so much.
0: A quick note before we go: We're really excited to announce that One Six One Eight Digital, an immersive audio podcast, have partnered with the upcoming immersive event in London this year to bring you highlights from the day. The event is hosted by our friends at Subpack, who you may remember from last year's episode with Steve Snooks, and it's centered around music, health, and technology. Scheduled for the 23rd of February from 11am till 6pm at Ravensbourne University, we'll be recording events throughout the day. So if you see us, please feel free to come and say hello. For tickets and more information about guests and the programme, head to projectimmerse.org forward slash London or we'll check our podcast show notes. Hope to see you there. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell with guest Adam Levinson. This episode was produced by Abigail Bircham Oliver Cadell, and Giacomo Corpino with the help of Felix Thompson, and included music by Nobbs Bergamo. If you enjoyed listening, please go to Apple Podcasts. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. The podcast is also available on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.